Hello, everybody. This is Kate Strasny here from Dedicated. Really excited to go live today on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. I have two special guests with me um, to discuss a very interesting topic. It's all about natural language processing, or NLP. We're going to hear from actually two authors today. We're going to hear from Ashish Bansal, who's the author of Advanced Natural Language Processing with TensorFlow 2. And he's going to be joined by the... Um, the one and only Dennis Rothman, who wrote Transformers for Natural Language Processing. I'm actually going to go ahead and bring them up on stage in just a second. But before I do so, I want to let the audience know that through your comments and questions, you actually have a chance to win two copies of each of those books. So there will be four winners in total that Ravit Jane from PACT will announce probably to, uh, tomorrow or the day after. Really excited to, to announce our guests here. So I'm going to go ahead and bring them up on stage. Hello, Ashish, and hello, Dennis. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello, and I think it'll be great to get started with some quick introductions. So Ashish, if you don't mind to go first and just let the world know a little bit more about yourself. Thank you so much, Kate. Uh, my pleasure to be here uh, with Dennis. Uh, looking forward to this session. I work uh, in uh, recommendation systems and NLP. Uh, I've worked in a number of different firms like uh, AWS, Amazon, Twitch, Twitter, Capital One. Uh, has been, I've been working in this uh, field of machine learning for the past 10 years, mostly self-taught. I graduated many, many, many years ago where this ML was not such a big thing um, and we were still struggling with backdrop. Um, so um, I feel uh, very connected to the struggles many people feel as they're trying to ramp up in this industry. Um, and a lot of us engineers are self-taught because we can't really take time off to go and uh, get a degree. Um, and that is uh, my motivation for being here. I think that ended up why I wrote a book in the first place. Okay, great. Thank you so much for being here. And Dennis, let's hear all about you. Well, first, I'd like to thank Ashish for his introduction because I'm fascinated by his work on the recommender systems. So, uh, well, I started out in natural language processing in 1982. So uh, that's, that's a long time ago. And I registered a patent in 1982 on a word-to-vector system. And a few years after, I registered another patent on cognitive uh, chatbots. And then 1987, I implemented it for uh, the luxury group uh, LVMH, Moite Chandon, the champagne company. And then I went into aeronautics and then uh, I worked for corporations like that all, all the time. So I've been living in artificial intelligence and NLP all my life. I studied at the Sorbonne. I taught at the Sorbonne. I was a teacher there. So I've, I've been here. I've been in artificial intelligence forever. And I tried to read uh, everything, a book, uh, a book a week or at least or papers. On, and I've read a wonderful book by uh, Ashish. And um, so that's, that's about it. Right now, I write books, I help people, I do consulting, write programs, and listen to Kate. <laughs> awesome. That last part is very important. Thank you, Dennis. That's the most important thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think the audience here is in for a special treat to have not one, but two experts on natural language processing. And I think the best place to really get started is to define what is natural language processing and how, you know, maybe some of the common use cases that people will come across. Well, let's Ashish start. I want him to start all the time. <laughs> okay, Ashish start all the time. There we go, makes it easier. 
no pressure, right? <laughs> uh, okay. Well, and your I'm, smile, Ashish, you have such a smile. I want you to start first all the time. <laughs> I mean, I can keep smiling while you talk, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll start and maybe uh, Kate, we can take turns, um, Dennis and I. So um, natural language processing, I'll start with a small observation that I've had um, just as a pretext to natural language processing. Whenever uh, we invent um, or when we communicate, whether it is with other humans or whether it is with machines or with animals, we feel the need to invent a language. So if even if you see how um, pet dogs are trained, we always treat them with some commands which are all verbal, right? Now, if we see the first programming language that we built, assembly language, which was very, very primitive, but it was still named as a language. We didn't choose to name it something else. And every, whether it's Python or C, they're all called languages because they help two dissimilar groups talk to each other. This idea of language is, I think, very core to humans and human culture. And I also believe that it is language, especially written language, that has uh, made a huge difference in why humans evolved um, better than other animals uh, who were who are pro pro probably not uh, less smart than humans. Now, with that pretext, I think there has been always this challenge of how can we communicate more effectively with computers? And the quest for that is um, the, how do we represent language in computers? Because computers don't really understand language as they don't have sense of sense, emotion, and all of that. Um, and context, sarcasm, humor, uh, there's a lot of things that uh, goes on in our languages. So natural language processing is making computers aware of how to process languages that humans talk and represent concepts in both directions using language. So that is the important thing for me. Another thing that I think is important to mention here is when we talk, uh, we don't exclusively just use language. And that's an example of when we talk, we use a lot of um, non-verbal cues, right? Uh, that's an example. Why we like smiling, Ashish? Like smiling, uh, nodding, right? Um, so these non-verbal cues, uh, uh, and there is also intonations of sound. So if you just read a piece of text, whereas where somebody read it to you, you will have a different experience on that. So when we think about the progression of the industry, I would say that the progression of the industry is always towards first understanding like written text, which is where we are now, to a future world where we can have understanding, including these modalities like uh, speech intonations or facial expressions um, or images that go along with text. Uh, for example, cartoons have so little text, uh, but they convey a very powerful message, as my friend Dennis uh, in Paris knows very well. <laughs> OK, so I would just uh, I want to add to what Ashish uh, said. I don't want to go back on it because it perfectly describes our job. So I'll just go through my veteran experience. So the first thing we had to do in the 1980s was we would try to do what a human would do. So we would take a sentence with an expert system, and then we would try to find the subject, the verb, the adjective. And then we have to, we'd go through really structures. We try to do it like a human. And then when we, came, we got into the 90s, 
we found that the, the volume of data that was coming in was so big that we would have to spend uh, centuries writing rules. So where this our modern approach begins is when we found the limits of being able to write these rules. I used to write system with systems up 2,000 rules. But then I said, well, I can't go on like that. It's too tiresome. So then you get to machine learning where you say, well, that's, that's nice, machine learning. And then you, can, you could start with uh, k-nearest neighbors or things like that. But then we weren't going very far. And then we got to deep learning networks like convolutional neural networks. And we found that they're pretty complicated. I mean, uh, you go through all these layers to get what? To get a word. And if you just change something, it goes wrong. And then we, we discovered these recurrent neural networks, which I, in fact, discovered in the 1980s. That's how old they are. <laughs> but we weren't getting anywhere. In the 1980s, we weren't getting anywhere. We didn't have the, the computer power. So then the recurrent neural networks came, but then they pile up the information. It's like trying to remember numbers in a phone book. At one time, your, your brain's going to go off. So then... We get to 19, 2017, we're getting to there where Google comes up and says, hey, forget about recurrence. Why don't we build an industrial model? Everything will be the same size. Every, every layer will be the same size. It's just bricks putting together. So now we get to these transformers who, in my opinion, since I've been here all these years, is, is the first change I've seen in four decades of an approach. I've been listening to recurrent neural networks for 40 years. Now I see that finally there, it, the transformer opens the door. It just opens the door and lets the system find relationships between anything it wants. And that power over so many layers is going to change, in my opinion, the history of artificial intelligence because you can go into imagery, uh, Ashish Bensel, you described in uh, your book, I think it's chapter six or seven, an excellent, you have an excellent chapter on the BERT transformer that does image captioning. It's exactly what you're talking about with your cartoons. You, uh, I, uh, I studied that chapter, found it fascinating. So transformers are going to expand and they're going to lead to another era of artificial intelligence where these algorithms will be freer. The transformer is a free system, but it's very industrial because you can you can make the calculations in a parallel processing. Yeah, th thank you, Dennis. You know, there was actually a question that came in around transformers. I'll pull it up now from John Paul. He's he's got questions while he's uh, walking to get his kids. Um, okay, thought transformers are not a silver bullet for tasks. For example, in scientific domains, while with explicit names for genes, proteins, etc. I've seen better results from inverse index techniques, for example, BM25. Okay, uh, so, so John Paul, um, I think I've seen uh, your comment in one of my posts on this, and mm -hmm. it gives me the opportunity to answer you better than in a LinkedIn post. So uh, there's no such thing as a silver bullet for anything anyway. For example, I'll, I'll go in your direction. Of course, if I'm doing molecule uh, research or chemistry or physics or astrophysics, I'm going to use traditional equations. I'm not going to even bother with artificial intelligence. If I'm doing something very serious, you can, you can do it with SQL. You can do it with a word parser. If you're looking for uh, the transformer is, 
is, is different now. So it's not, there's no use in using a transformer to do something you can do with classical uh, softwares. Hmm. So I would say, yes, you're right. But then there are other tasks where traditional approaches won't even come close to what a transformer can do when you're hitting big volumes of data. Okay, thank you for yeah, that. I, I'd like to add something else for John because uh, I've seen his uh, comments. I, I think I remember. Transformers are not only used for natural language processing. I've done, I have a, a video on my channel where I plugged in uh, Markov decision process sequences coming from the industry. And I just fed all these sequences into a transformer and then it did scheduling, manufacturing scheduling. So we have to think of the potential, but he's right. If you're talking about extremely precise things in science, use classical software, I agree. Okay, thank you for that. We have a question here, I'm not sure from who, it's from a LinkedIn user, but the question is, what do you see in natural language processing and the future of translation? Well, I, I can say a word and turn over to Ashish because I began my career as a translator uh, when I was at the Sorbonne, it was one of my uh, jobs. Um, I would say, let's say we're t we have 1 million miles to go, we're at mile one because uh what do you do with, you, you, english is so easy i mean you just have it the try french where you have uh feminine masculine try hindi try uh try try some uh pack, try try some try a rare arabic nothing will work russian russian also uh, yes. russian is structured but there are eight uh cases there are eight cases uh for many words so yeah, or German. German and Russian have the same problems with nominative, gerund, gerund. I'd say we're at mile one, but I'll add something. If you go to Google Translate and you want to read a, an article in a newspaper, well, it gives you the general meaning. It's, it goes back to what John was saying a minute ago. If you want to do some extremely precise things, you're going to have to add rules. But then I'm going to let Ashish finish this. <laughs> Thanks, Dennis. Um... I think we've made uh, great strides in translation. For a lot of the popular languages, where there is a fair amount of digitized content, you have enough training data to do something with it. The key here, as Dennis pointed out, is figuring out how much accuracy is enough for the task at hand. If you are trying to read a news article and you want to get the gist of what it is saying, for many language pairs, what we have today is sufficient. If you want to get the nuances of French or German as the writer intended to write them, maybe we are not there yet. But if you think of language is a uh, uh, main purpose of communication to each other, I think that basic communication is can be solved today. It's a, I'm always reminded of that uh, universal translator from Star Trek, uh, which you just put in your ear and you could speak at any language. And there are tools like that today with uh, Google Translate and Microsoft also has a, a, a thing that translates in real time on um, um, <clears throat> on uh, on Skype, actually. So you can- Amazon has that too, I think. They have a oh, wow. Yeah, so <clears throat> some of this is, but I think, bridging borders. So that's a very interesting point. For a lot of other languages, Amharic, for example, Amharic doesn't have that much good digital representation today. The script is very different. The pronunciation language is very different. 
in hindi type languages basic problems uh, are not solved problems today i'm not saying that they can't be solved it's just that nobody has solved them and a basic problem is tokenization when you have a unicode character set then how do you decide what is the what is a letter in english it is very straightforward in languages which use accents or modifiers is the letter and the modifier together a token or they are two separate tokens these are not unsurmountable problems it's just that i think too much attention in the nlp world is focused on english it is easy to publish in english it is easy to get a consensus in english whereas now i am seeing um, more effort being done so a lot of techniques that have been done in english can be straightforward applied in many of these languages but we need researchers from various part of the worlds to take their pride in their own language and put transformers and bert in their own languages and put them out i think that would be uh, that would make the state of the art much much better yeah i that that's very interesting for me to learn about the extent of my knowledge in terms of translation was when i get an email in a different language and i can copy paste it into google translate and at least get a sense for is this a a normal person emailing me what do they really want or is it just some kind of spam so very very interesting to learn about this we actually have like 25 questions that just came in and uh, i'll just go to a comment quickly from here from Christoph saying german has four cases polish has seven so that's even that's even tougher um that is i just want to refer back to a point that dennis made earlier when we were um, starting in the nlp world maybe a couple of decades ago there was a lot of thought of trying to model language as humans understood or designed it with grammar so when mm-hmm. dennis was talking about writing rules and stuff in deep uh, nlp architectures we are working more on end to end learning so there is less focus on parts of speech or grammatical or you can do translation without having to worry about those why you can do that because you have better recurrence relationships better tokenization schemes to understand what each tokens means and much larger amounts of data that you can train on for days so that has reduced uh, i think there was a famous joke that every time i fire a linguist the accuracy of my uh, model improves um, i forget <laughs> for it uh, but that was kind of the challenge because language even as structured as we might think there is pick up any grammar book uh, i'm always fascinated by the exceptions in that grammar book about like this is like this in most cases except when it is preceded mm-hmm. <laughs> and doesn't matter which language you pick yeah. which has this and this is the vein of every school going child uh, when they are going to the like oh my god i wonder who made these rules up um, deep nlp actually provides you a way to not worry so much and make some fixes using things like crf conditional random fields or um, with beam search on top that maximizes the overall probability because overall this sentence structure does follow patterns Mhm. Actually there speaking was, of There was a question there that went quickly is yeah short sentences. That's exactly the one I was going to bring up. Yes, yeah. from Dr. Uh, yeah, Tari. Well, uh, that's something I did um yesterday yesterday is someone gave me uh, a conversation, a transcript that lasted an hour. The problem is uh 
if you have something very long, it depends of the it depends on the structure. Let's say someone's writing an article on visiting the Grand Canyon in Arizona, but and the text is structured. It says, "I got to the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon is in Arizona, and uh, if you can go through Flagstaff, and then you can drive up, and then you know you can get to the park. If it's very structured, it can be long. But what happens in oral conversations is like when you us three were talking before the meeting." We can go from one subject to another. Oh, I like Grand Canyon. Yeah, but you know, I, I went to Japan. Yeah, but Kate, you know, I went to Paris and it was pretty cool. Hey, Ashish, you know, I was in Canada, Dennis. Well, you know, I, I, I went to Canada one time. But So the thing is, when it gets long, if it's not structured, the transform will get lost. In fact, it'll get lost like any human being. How many human mm -hmm. beings can focus on a sentence for more than, I don't know, five or six seconds? When someone begins to speak, you in meetings we can see the eyes glaze. You know, you say, oh, I lost them." But today you're gonna have worse. The person will go on his uh, smartphone. So if the yeah. text is structured, the transform will make it. If the text is not structured, it won't make it. So what I suggest is to segment, uh, send it by blocks into the transformer summaries. Like I have T5 in my book in uh, chapter seven. I recommend seg blocks, send blocks to it, logic blocks. So there is some rules, that, you know, you, you, batches, but don't send the whole thing because you'll get gibberish. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add a couple of things to uh, what Dennis was saying. <clears throat> Whenever we are building systems, we need to think about what is the probability of each occurrence. So when we are building systems for NLP, what, how many documents there are that are thousands of words uh, versus documents that are hundreds of words, uh, <clears throat> because you will find that there is, you will find that thousands of words of documents are probably outliers. I'll give you an example of a real case uh, which came, which is uh, analyzing financial reports. Whenever every quarter, publicly traded companies release financial reports, and you can say, I want to find information in the financial report. To Dennis's point, the financial report is very long, but is structured in sections, and they talk about specific things in the sections. So you can always break down the problem into what question are you trying to answer i think the question that was phrased was we have i have a document that is very large and to me that is a half a question you have that is the input but what what are you going to do with it are you trying to summarize it are you trying to find a relevant fact or factoid from that document are you trying to answer freeform questions from that document so based on the task that you need to perform on the document, there are many optimizations that can be done. Now, in the trans, the last point I will say is in the transformer world itself, uh, given how much compute you have, there are transformers that are going up to 2000 or more tokens. A token is not a word per se, because, uh, because of BPE, the way they do tokenization. But even if you assume that uh, there is some factor, you are already seeing a thousand word or more uh, document being fed into this, it may not really help you with the analyzing the Supreme Court judge judgments or case proceedings. Um, but for a variety of business uses, it might be sufficient even for what we have today. Yeah, thanks for that. And so you both have mentioned sort of a batching of, of jobs or specific tasks. Do you think in the future we're going to move towards or are we moving towards a, a simpler way to do this where we can actually just throw the whole document at, at a program 
Oh, no, 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 no. Akshash is right. What we have to do is exactly what he said. I would add the word pipeline. I would say yeah. that the transformer is part of a pipeline. So you have the transformer here. And before, you have to do exactly what Ashish says. What do you want to do with it? And then mm -hmm. according to what you want to do with it, then you can break your document into the proper segments. You could even parse the document to just bring up the sections you need. That's what Ashish is implying. And then you run the transformer, and then you take the output. So we're talking about a pipeline. I think mm -hmm. the word we have to add Ashish is pipeline. There's Again, this transformer is not by himself. There are things going on before and after. It is common to stack models. So um, in extending the pipeline that thing that Dennis is saying, you don't have to have only one model do everything for you. In mm -hmm. fact, often that becomes very challenging. My personal experience in this field has been that very task-focused models do much better than one very large generic model because it also it becomes hard to evaluate bias and fairness in, in a giant model. It becomes hard to evaluate performance for all of the various cases. I'd prefer to have a few smaller, highly focused models. For example, I can build a model, taking the example of the financial report, I can build a model that says, figure out which paragraph has past year's financial performance. And that might be a much easier task going paragraph by paragraph and just giving a binary classification, yes, no. And then all the paragraphs that I accumulate, then I can then pass it to generate a summary, for example, of financial performance. Mm -hmm. There are ways to structure these tasks in a pipeline manner and use multiple models to accomplish the end goal. Okay, thank, thank you. So at this point, I'm gonna, Stop looking at the comments for a little bit, take a book break, and ask you both to talk a little bit about, about the book. Who is this for? What are the prerequisites for the book that you've written? And which book should people read first? How do they how do they complement each other? So Ashish, I don't know if you want to um, start first since I know Dennis wants to <laughs> wants you for your smile and <laughs> he wants you to go first. I, I flashed my biggest smile. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, as I said in my introduction, uh, I'm largely self-taught uh, in this area. And um, having worked in one of the largest companies with text data Twitter, um, I was fairly frustrated in trying to ramp up on NLP um, and learn and how and still do the job at the same time. So uh, in a way, my book is a set of notes that I'd created for myself um, uh, to say, okay, what order do I things in and that is one challenge that i found was it was not clear what order things need to be read in and the the reason why it's important is because advances build on previous advances and if you follow that along a little bit then it becomes much much easier to see um, how things came to be so i would say that my book is a little more broader or has more breadth and follows how you get to transform and what is everything that has gone in the development? So um, sequence to sequence, I think, as an architecture is hugely influential. Tra I think sequence to sequence as an idea may transcend transformers even tomorrow. Like having the ability to take a sequence of type A and convert it to sequence of type B is a very generic idea. You can do this with LSTMs. You can do it with deep learning networks. You can do it with GANs. You can do it with a variety of different networks. But that idea is, I think, very central. The idea of attention is very central. Now, we will see various forms of attention, uh, multi-head attention, self-attention, local attention. But the idea of attention or attending to certain parts of a sequence 
to influence which have higher influence on a certain outcome than every other part is a central idea so just following through and another thing that i observed was some of the basics of nlp like uh, parts of speech named entity recognition uh, and the other supporting systems that make nlp work like um, we have things like crms or beam search so even if you look at gpt as good as that model might be if you remove beam search from it i'm pretty sure it will output garbage uh, beam search is a very critical component it is not uh, a, a deep learning technique per se it is a probability maximization uh, technique uh, but it is uh, hugely important and there are grammar models that are applied on top of these and sometimes they get lost in um, in the hoopla of this so i wanted to make sure that all of these basics were covered for people who want to build uh, production nlp systems um, I'm an engineer. I've written uh, all the code uh, works and uh, is self-contained. So every chapter has self-contained code, which was another pet peeve of mine when reading some of the other books that I had to copy paste different pieces of code from different places. So hopefully you can run all of these examples. And um, I would be very happy if you take my code and uh, use it in production um, and uh, modify it, update it, uh, go for it. I'll turn over to Dennis with that. Okay, so I think uh, Ashish has a point uh, because he, he, he starts with this broad view of NLP because, of course, I read the book. And I think that that's right. It gives a, a broad thing. Now, I come from a different area because uh, I come from uh, decades ago. So what I found when I, look, I read the, the, the papers was I was absolutely fascinated by the fact that it's a clear difference between what's going before. What I'm saying is, think of, uh, I use the Legos, you know, Legos, the, the toys. Mm -hmm. And the Transformer, you have a Lego, like you said. Let's say you have, you can divide us, you can take a sequence and then you can ask eight heads to analyze it in parallel. And they're exactly the same size. And then you can put them together again. So you have this clean architecture, and it's the first time that I've seen that in decades, something so clean, something so, so, so well built. And then what I like, that's the first thing, is the architecture, so clean. Then I like the freedom, the freedom of the attention head. The attention head just has one, one word or token. Well, let's use word for the, for the other. Looking at all the other ones in a, in a very free manner. And then comparing it to its uh, test set, so and learning patterns by himself, by itself. So I can I saw the potential of transformers, the way that they're structured with this clean architecture and this free way of looking at sequences. I can see how far it's going to go, not only in NLP but in imagery, audio, decision making. So I'd say in my book, I would say both books are interesting because if you start with Ashes, Ashes' book, you'll get a broad view and you'll see, ah, okay, that's NLP. Then you come to my book and you said, wow, he's just cleaning everything off the map. <laughs> he's just, I, just, I took my hand like that literally when I began the first chapter and said, I'm not going to even speak about RNNs and I'm taking all of that away. Clean, it's a new country. So if you read the book, then in the first chapter, you'll understand the, the basic concepts. And then I just go on to explain how to train it, how to test them, compare them. I find, I, I, I got back to what Ashish says about the GPT-3 models. 
they're very I like I like the open AI team. They they really worked hard. But there are ways, like Ashish and I said before, to prepare your data before in the pipeline and to get excellent results with small models. So you'll see a lot of things in my book. And uh, if you're like me, I'd buy I, I'd buy both books. I, I, I read I read all my I read all the books I can find in the top 100 and on Amazon and deep learning. I just I purchase them one after the other and read them. You need you need to read all this. So if you take my book, you have code. And like Ashish, uh, you can you can contact us. Uh, we're, Ashish has the the killer smile. <laughs> so he'll, he'll he'll answer all your questions, and I always answer I I, I answer every single question on LinkedIn. So uh, amazing, guys! This is an invitation. An experience. Yeah. Message Dennis all day long just to see. Make sure he keeps responding. I respond. Um, Sometimes it takes me two hours a day. Wow. Oh yeah, I can get up to 100 questions. That's dedication. That's I mean that's a, a great service to the community because there's not much out there on on NLP and just people are not generally as uh, free with their time. So that's very good. That but, but I get other questions like uh, I'm a student. Where should I where should I start? Should I start with math? What what should I start with? Or I'm looking for a job. What should I say? Or I read your book, but you know what can I do with it now? Or I don't understand this chapter. A lot of questions. Uh, you know, when you're when you're young, or you have a lot of questions about where you're going, and then when you're a bit older, what are you going to do now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give back and help. Speaking of questions, we've actually we have a, an interesting one here from Tushar. It's all about memes, right? He's saying memes are now a digital communication language. Can we use transformers to identify and block? Things like hate speech, fake news, um, spread through memes. I'd like to start with that one because that's chapter 12 of my book. Yes. Yes, it is. I read that one. Yeah. Let me, let, let's be clear and I'll turn it over to Ashish who has much more experience than I have watching uh, streaming on his, uh, on his, on, in his job. My opinion is that we have to be, I, I would take, could you put the question back again, Kate? So I can, yes. I, can I just want to. I just want to. I just want to make an introduction, and then I want Ashish to finish it. Fake news. Fake news. Ninety percent of the time is what something I, someone I don't agree with, says. Right now on social media, it's oh you said that that's fake news. You believe in climate change. That's fake news. You don't believe in climate change. That's fake news. You believe in gun control. That's fake news. So the problem is fake news is used as a weapon. To, to, to say, oh, to say, you said that, that's fake news. Who says what news or fake news is? And then you have hate speech. But social media li lives on hate speech because if you write a, a tweet and you say, oh, the weather is nice today, well, try to do buzz with that. You can say, today it's nice, but it's pretty cloudy. No reaction. Tweet get Twitter, Facebook, they get no ads, no advertisements. You say the weather is cloudy today because there's climate change. Oh, you, there isn't climate change. There you go. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. So hate speech is, is, is the food for social media. And, I'll, and I, I'll go back to my book on uh, explainable AI and ethics. And I'll turn my... I would make sure that every person that goes on social media has his ID when he signs up. 
He has his ID, his passport, or his driving license. He can use a pseudo. And it's not up to us to decide. Then it's the courts. There should be accountability for social media. So if I put my ID on and someone doesn't like what I'm, I say, it's not up to a social. Go to court and then we'll see what the court says because each country has its own idea. You know, like one country can agree, another country can disagree. So what's good in the United States is not good in France or it's not good in India or in Iran or uh, in Pakistan. Good luck. So I'll turn over to Ashish because that's what he does all day. <laughs> he's watching all he's watching all this stuff coming in. <laughs> um, it's a very tough problem. Humans have uh, always used. Maybe you should say what you do all day. <laughs> so I, I do work. At, your experience. Yeah, sure. Um, I work on uh, recommendation systems. I recommend content to people, and recommendation systems consequently can have the uh, effect of amplification of both positive and negative amplification. So uh, figuring out some of these things uh, is very important as part of my work um, because you don't want to amplify negative things. Contrary to and having experience with Twitter, which is often uh, criticized for some of this, contrary to popular belief, um, Twitter does not want um, unhealthy conversations. In fact, uh, internal experiments have shown that when the uh, platform becomes unhealthy, we see a drop in people coming back on the platform. So in general, people like a civil platform. Definition of civility, like anything in language, is uh, up for grabs because that is one of the challenges with civility, uh, with uh, some of the language concepts like hate speech. Uh, like hate speech for one may not be hate speech for the other. The the, the, the interesting challenge um, that we have here is that people find ways to evade bans. So, Tushar, the question is less for me from a practical pers perspective of whether I can identify hate speech today. Because as soon as whatever system I use to I build to identify it, people will find a way to replace it, to find get around it. So as an example, let's say that I want to spell some word, um, which is uh, an abusive word. Now, I block a very simple filter. I say, OK, whenever you see this word, block it. What people start doing, they replace E with three or uh, I with number one, right? Or <laughs> L with number one. So now I'm just giving a very simple example. Now what you do is you would now start sending, spelling it phonetically. Make some small adjustments. Change the order of the letters. A very famous fashion brand, FC UK, has done this uh, for shock value. Um, so it's very common to see these problems. So the challenge is, is less about can I detect it today? The challenge is more about how can I build a responsive system that can continue to detect it as people uh, do this. I'll take an example from how we do nursery rhymes. Uh, there is a very famous nursery rhyme which I used to learn as a kid, a ring around a rosy. I later found out it was about the great plague. Um, and this entire uh, nursery rhyme was a coded message to say, how do you identify this person is going to die? And it just described the various stages of the disease. Humans, and it is very common in black literature as well, where the songs of the slaves were warnings and different, and they conveyed different messages in coded language. And Black Twitter does that even today. So the codes are what is the challenge. It's the obvious things are very small and very easy to 
catch. It is the Kurds, as an example, white supremacists in Europe use the term falafel for Middle Eastern immigrants. Falafel. Falafel. So consequently, um, you can write a very innocuous looking statement saying demolish the falafels. And for a normal person that might just or devour the falafels to a normal person that might seem like, oh, this person is really hungry. For a sub-segment or a group, it might be a call to arms. Mm. These quote that the challenge is, it's rarely uh, the hate speech is obvious. When it is obvious, then it's very easy to block. It is these quotes that make it, and these quotes evolve with time, right? They were not always the same quotes. You, you catch one, you do the other one. So at Twitter, I worked a lot with, uh, at the start of COVID, um, there was a lot of challenges in India. People who are in India, they know um, all of the material that was going around uh, targeting a certain race and a certain religion. Um, and we, uh, I spent a lot of time um, like figuring out how creatively to write abuses in different languages uh, so that we can build and block. Uh, you wow. don't have that much literature or written language to train a big model in many of these cases. So there is a variety of different problems. Uh, it's not a simple thing to fix, um, but requires constant attention. It seems like when you guys are trying to answer this question, you made it even more complicated in my mind to address. Thanks, thanks, especially Ashish with the symbols and the, <laughs> the letters. I'm like, wow, are we ever gonna fix this? And then there's a, a related question here from Dennis, he's saying, when are we going to teach AI to understand irony? Because that's another aspect that machines don't really understand, right? So have you have you had to face any ironic phrases in, in NLP? Yes. So I'll, 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 uh, Dennis is asking a question to Dennis. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll say it. I'll give my, I hate that. Uh, I, I, because there's this, I won't name the company. There's a company in France, a very big en energy company that they have this bot when you phone it say oh how how are you today i guess if you're phoning me there's a problem you know and i say and you're saying you know i'm going to tell you what that problem is because i don't have my power on and then the person says oh and uh i wish you and and this irony the problem dennis is the irony can come a day when someone passed away in your family so now you're, 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 someone just died in your family and you're phoning because, you know, you, you, the electricity is off in that house. And the person, oh, how are you today? It's so nice to see you. So I would, I'd, and, and there are civil cultures, uh, there are cultures, and I'm not going to name them here, but cultures that don't like irony. You have countries in which uh, humor varies from one country. In, in, to, I'll just take France and England. French people don't like irony that much. They like nice sentences with finesse. Well, they, they'll just say something that you understand a sentence after. And then the English have humor. They say something funny and it takes you another. And then the, if you go to African countries and people are having, you know, different cultures, you can't do that. Or So I would say irony is... It's a mine. I, I wouldn't use it. Uh, I wouldn't try to. A machine should not be ironical. A machine just does the job. I don't want a machine with irony. I want them to give me an answer and go back to where it came from. Because it, it, like Ashish said, we can't do that until we have the nonverbal language. So right. imagine and if this conversation, I'm like this. Oh, and then 
And then you have this machine. Oh, are you happy today? And I said, you know, I'm going to show you how happy I am. You know, I'm going to cut you off. So until we have nonverbal language, prosody, which is the intonations, mm -hmm. no, we can't do that. So Dennis, be careful with irony. In any case, be careful with irony, even in everyday life. And yeah. I think we might be able to solve irony, but not uh, the computers will never be able to understand the stiff upper lip of the Brits. Yeah, that depends who you're talking to. It is some irony. If you're talking to your parent, you know, your grandfather or grandmother, and you start irony, you might, you're not might not get cake for dessert, you know, you might just uh, get your soup and get out of the house. It, you know, it takes, it, there's a lot, there, there's what you said, Asher, there's context and a lot of context that's not in the machine. So let's be careful with irony. Yeah. Thank and you. Yeah. Um, another question here from Christoph. He's asking, are there any NLP tasks or problems where choosing deep learning solutions is actually a bad idea? So the way I would, I'd probably take a first crack at this, Dennis. Um, I, uh, from a practical approach perspective, deep learning is never my go-to approach. I always believe that for any problem at hand, I first want to believe, build a very simple rule-based system and any machine learning solutions, this is a very practical advice. Um, and any um, deep learning solution has to be my V2 or V3. I, I always want to have a baseline. Um, and uh, to give you an example, uh, once I built a, uh, in my younger, uh, more eventful days, uh, we built a system using LSTMs to predict open hours of restaurants using uh, transactions from the, because I was working at a credit card company, we had transactions flowing. So we said, we can guess open hours because I, ideally uh, your first transaction would come a few minutes or uh, after the restaurant opens and your last transaction would come a few minutes after the restaurant closes. That few minutes is variable. We could train a network. We trained a network. We were very happy. The accuracy was 91%. We were like, fantastic. This is a great model. It turns out, that if I had implemented a simple rule which says all restaurants are open from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., the accuracy of that model is 92%. Now, that is better than my uh, LSTM-based network. So uh, because restaurants follow a pattern, so as happy as I was, that was not a great idea. Um, mm -hmm. I always, uh, the lesson that I'm trying to learn from that is to say, First, try to solve it in a simple way. In NLP especially, regexes are your friend. If you can build a simple system using, using some regexes and a bunch of rules, that should act as your baseline. Then for further improvement, if that doesn't meet your uh, baseline or your accuracy requirements or your product requirements, keep improving by adding machine learning and consequently deep learning. There is a lot of effort that is required to get and tune a deep learning system and keep it running. So be careful. Uh, don't step into deep learning because it's hot and and, and uh, fancy. I have nothing to add. Ashish uh, summed it up perfectly. Great. <laughs> then I I think um, so. We actually went over time. See what, what happens when you're when you're having fun. I I promise, Dennis and Ashish, it should be about 30, 45 minutes. Now we're over time, but I do want to end on one last question here, and it's. It's all about your predictions for the future, right? So get your crystal ball or, or something out and maybe just share some thoughts on what can we expect to see um, in terms of innovations in, in natural language processing in, let's say, the next five to 10 years. I know 10 years, 
it's a big gap, maybe five to seven years. Well, I would say Ashish has the key word there. It's the recommenders because there are the visible recommenders and then there are the invisible recommenders. The in, and the invisible recommenders don't need to worry about how fast we understand where we're going. So these, these are back office algorithms that are, that are feeding off huge amounts of data and becomes, they become smarter day by day, whether it's with rule bases, machine learning. So in the next years, I see an emergence, and I know that this, this could be considered as a, a, a bad word in a, in a Western civilization conversation, but I see a very strong emergence of China in artificial intelligence, uh, extremely, extremely powerful because they don't have to follow the rules we have. They pick up all the data, they pick all the webcams, everything. So I think we're going to see recommenders as Ashish is the professional on this. And I see Chinese recommend, uh, recommenders progress extremely silently. There'll be stealth marketing as you've never seen and they'll be purchasing corporations they'll be coming in they'll be coming probably the world first power that we you know we just have to be humble it hurts our ego and alibaba uh, is nothing uh to underestimate because they devaluate their money the, the the value of the money but it's huge so I would say recommenders, and that's why I'm fascinated by uh, Ashish's Ashish job. So I'll let him finish this uh, interview with his vision. Thanks. There. there, he's in it. Uh, this question is very scary for people who follow history of technology. I think Bill Gates famously said 512KB is enough. Somebody said, uh, why would anybody need a personal computer? So you're asking a question that will be quoted later. We'll live for eternity in digital uh, medium and then will come back to haunt me in, in a few years. Uh, I have to be very careful uh, as I answer this. Uh, I'm not trying to compare myself to any of those big people that I just named. Um, <clears throat> I think there is a lot to be uh, done in in language. So it is, uh, I think everything Dennis said is fantastic. I just add I'll just add a few notes specific to language. I think I would love to see people and uh, researchers and scientists uh, from all over the world do more for their native languages. A lot of literature has been published. It's fairly easy to do uh, and do research in your language. And access to people, because a lot of people can't use these phones. A friend of mine uh, does electrification in uh, rural Africa. Uh, and the challenge is that they can't, can't use the phone interface because it's in a language that is unfamiliar. So what I'm trying to say is rather than digitizing and changing the phone interface, you can make virtual voice-based assistants more powerful on those phones and get them to do what they want money transfers, access to websites, learning, searching for things. Um, and I wish uh, more uh, uh, researchers in Africa, in Asia, uh, in, in even parts of Europe uh, spend time uh, building these uh, for their local languages. The second thing that I'd love to see um, happen is more multimodal stuff. I think that's where a lot of the research is headed. Um, I'm, I'm really uh, big on multimodal. Um, we've always uh, had this uh, uh, this idea that a picture is worth a thousand words. I would love to actually see us able to take a thousand words and convert into a picture 
uh, and vice versa. Um, uh, like take a picture and generate a thousand words from it. Uh, if you give a picture to a human and say, can you write a story about it? They can write a story about it. They will probably make up things that happened before and after. Uh, many of the games are built like that. Quizzes, puzzles are built like that. I would love to see multimodals because I think eventually the aim of any artificial intelligence uh, uh, algorithm or developments in the field is to somehow mimic what we do. We have a screen in front of us. It has tickers. It has labels. Um, uh, Kate has a nice pillow called Data Kated next to her. We are hearing what we are discussing and we are seeing and processing all of that at the same time. When you recall this moment at a later point in time, all of this, how you felt, how the environment around you, was it hot, was it cold, all of these things will come back flooding to you. Any good memory or bad memory we have, we have all of these things. So that means we are able to process all of these modalities. And our brain works at, what, 40 watts, right? So um, that is roughly the amount of energy consumption of a human brain. Um, that is much smaller than any NVIDIA GPU that is in the market today. Um, so miniaturization is the next step. I think there's a ten trend uh, that I've observed in technology. The first versions that we invent are usually very big. So all of this talk about a trillion uh, parameter model. I think it's a trillion parameter because that's the easiest way to invent it today. And then over time, we will make it smaller and smaller. Bert and Albert, I think the same thing happened with there. We invented a big model and then we found it was highly over parameterized. You can condense it and smaller. So that's the third thing I, I think uh, will come out this miniaturization. Wow, that's, that's a lot of stuff to come our way in the next five to seven years. Thank you so much both. Um, as we wrap up, I just want to remind people to go ahead and check out the books and I guess they can be found on Amazon, both of them? Yep. Yes, Amazon is usually the, the easiest uh, way to get them. And I think Ravid's posting some links in the comments if people need a link to find the book. But uh, what's the best place for people to find you if they want to continue the conversation? We did have to unfortunately skip a lot of questions due to time. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and on uh, Twitter uh, at Ash underscore Bans, A-S-H underscore B-A-N-S. Uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, both. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much both for this amazing session. I personally learned a great deal about natural language processing. And I'm in the middle of both of your books. I was trying to read them at the same time. So they're both kind of uh, together in my head. Good thing they're on the same topic. But thank you again so much for your time. Thank you. Everybody have a great day. Have a nice right. day.